I'm Andy Murray, Executive Director of the Major Projects Association, and I'm pleased to introduce a series of roundtable discussions on why race matters in the world of major projects. This first session is all about hearing from project professionals regarding their experiences, and we'll be discussing what can be done as individuals to bring about change generally. In one of our other sessions, we'll also be exploring what can be done on major projects more specifically. Facilitating today's discussion is Gary Young. Gary is a sociology professor from the University of Manchester, as well as being an author, broadcaster and journalist, having previously been editor-at-large for The Guardian. In 2020, Gary was included in the top 100 Black Britons and for two years running has been cited by Powerlist as being one of the most influential people in the UK from African or African-Caribbean descent. Now, there's another reason why Gary is facilitating our discussion in addition to his impressive credentials. Gary and I grew up in the same town at the same time and went to the same school, so our backgrounds are pretty similar except that Gary is black and I'm not. In a later podcast in this series, Gary and I will be exploring our experiences from growing up and entering the world of work and how they differed based on race. For now, I'd like to hand over to Gary to get this session started. Gary, a very warm welcome and over to you. Thanks, Randy. Um, so I'm joined here today by June Reed, IJ Samuel, and Aaron Matthew, all of whom uh, work on and in major projects um, around the country and um, elsewhere. And I'm going to be talking to them about their experiences um, as Black people uh, in general in their work. Uh, and how um, their race has affected their ability to do their work. I'm gonna start by uh, uh, talking to IJ and just I'd ask you just to introduce yourself briefly and, um, uh, and give us a sense of your experiences in major words. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Andy. It's an honor to be on this platform today, sharing my journey, my experiences on major projects um, with, with, with everyone here today. So um, really pleased about that. So a bit of background about me. I'm IJ Samuel. I'm a director with Internal and Townsend. And um, I've been on major projects for, for over 15 years now. Um, some of you may know that I started my career within um engineering as a control systems engineer, started my career back in Nigeria. And um, after I finished university, did um, a project on SCADA systems for about two years there, I decided to, to come to the UK to do my master's program. So that was kind of my journey coming over to the UK. In that time, um, finished my master's degree, still worked within control systems um, engineering in oil and gas pro projects at the time. One of the key things really through, through my professional journey, and, and in that time anyway, I switched into project controls and pro program management as well. But, but the key thing for me really in all of the different projects I've done, be it from gas gathering facilities or um, sort of um, power plants and utilities or onto um, high speed two or Heathrow airport and all of these major projects. One thing that's been, remained consistent for me really is um, for me, it's been my, my drive in how far I want to go in my career journey. 
and I'll touch on that drive a little bit later, but pretty much in terms of um, how I've how I've gotten to where I am today. Um, I'm a mom, also a mother of two kids. And at some point earlier on in my career, when um, I went off on maternity to have my first child, um, at the time I was within oil and gas projects at the time, came back from maternity leave. And one of the key things really, I suppose I wear two hats on this platform today, being a woman in construction, in built environment, a major project, and also being a black woman in the same um, environment. What that meant was for me coming back from maternity leave at the time, I was told I couldn't be put onto a, ma a major project or a serious project for that matter. The key thing that the penny dropped for me Meaning, was that because I'm a woman or was that because I'm a black woman? Or was that because my capabilities were thought not to be at the same level before I went off on maternity leave? I've come back full time. Why couldn't I go back onto a major project? And those were sort of the barriers that shaped me to start thinking, no one else should go through the same path that I've gone through. No one else should experience this within construction, within major projects. It's just not acceptable. And um, I'm sure we'll unpack a few of the conversations later on, but that kind of sparked a big interest in me in terms of how do I be a voice? How do I stand up for others as well as navigating my own ambitions, my own career journey? And since then, a lot of things have happened and I'll, I'll unpack that later on as we go. But that's kind of um, a bit of a history and journey about how I got here today. Thank you, uh, IJ. Um, June, could you share just a little bit of how you got here? Um, thank you, Gary. And like IJ, great honor to be part of this discussion this afternoon. So I um, started at local government in 1989 primarily as an arts officer at, um, and then um, programming, but also then doing much more strategic work. And in the late 80s, I had the opportunity to work on my first single regeneration budget program in Southwest London, and then went to Southeast London to do a program that was 25 million pounds of uh, single regeneration budget. That program um, came to an end and I was, um, placed on the redeployment list. So one of the opportunities that came up was to work in the newly established corporate program office, which was um, overseeing and developing the major projects for that particular council in Southeast London, which included building schools for the future, the development of free service centers um, and a number of other projects. When I joined that department, I was the only person who was black at that time. And I was, I think the second or third woman. So by um, giving me the opportunity, opportunity to join that corporate office, I was solving their problem in that um, I was addressing the absence of someone of color or a black person being in that department. Um, and I was adding to the number of women that was in that department at the time. However, I was the only person who had to come into that office uh, and, and be put on a trial period. And in fact, the trial period was then extended. Um, my grade, um, I came in on the same grade as my previous role, um, where others in that department, their um, grades went up, I don't know, two, three, four times up the scale. 
Um, the other thing that um, I experienced, I was treated as the office junior, although I was older, which is not the, the main um, consideration, but I certainly, as I said, have been running a, 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 a major regeneration scheme at the time that um, you're 25 million pounds, which most of the people there hadn't had that responsibility. I was treated as, as the office junior and I was allocated tasks that um, the programme office saw as less high profile and therefore subject to less risk. So I was allocated uh, risk management um, to oversee the risk management for the overall programme office, as well as um, reviewing the risk management procedures in each of the major programmes and projects. I undertook quality reviews of the individual projects and programmes and also had to prepare the periodic programme update reports for the programme office board. Um, I then had the opportunity to work with Andy um, and other colleagues on a pan-London programme, which basically um, created a bespoke programme management tool for initially the 33 London councils in London, but it got extended to other um, councils and authorities outside of London. A very high profile project, but because colleagues at the time didn't respect programme and project management in terms of print to an MSP, um, I wasn't given, the project wasn't seen as valuable and as important as it should have been. And therefore I was undermined. And subsequently I was bullied in fact. Um, and, you know, had the support of Andy and other colleagues from the other local authorities, but it was a really soul destroying um, experience. But I'm a bit like IJ, I'm very tenacious. I strongly believed in the programme. Um, that it was excellence in project and program management. I, I was committed to it and I just had to ha harness the support of other colleagues, as I mentioned, and the, the likes of, of, of Andy. Um, what I want to say was that um, in speaking with colleagues ahead of today, colleagues on, on, on this uh, video, I, I hadn't realized that um, having experienced this in 2006 through to 2009, when I moved into customer services as a senior manager, how much it still affected me. Um, I, at the time, feared that I would lose my job because I was being bullied. Um, I experienced low um, self-esteem, um, lack of self-belief. And when I moved, when I transitioned into a senior management role within customer service, I basically had to be really supported by my new assistant director to have self-belief to, you know, lead as a manager, basically. And um, I think it's, I can't under, under uh, estimate the long-term damage that that experience had on, on me. Um, so that's why I, 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 I welcome the opportunity to share not only just the experience, but that when these things happen to you, how, you know, what it can do long-term in terms of damage. I don't know, Andy, if you wanted to um, comment on what, on what I've just said, have, have been someone that worked with me at that time. Yeah, I mean, first thing I would like to say to you is you, you hit it really well. Um, although you sort of reached out for support, you know, for, from others, it, it wasn't, um, you didn't reach out saying, I've got this issue because of race. 
you know, you know, I think when you came to me, it was perceived, it was, you know, portrayed as a stakeholder engagement issue. <laughs> and we worked around it, but, you know, but, but you didn't say it was a, it was a race issue. We were aware there was a, there was an issue, but, but not, you know, that was the root cause of it. And, and, and I think something perhaps for us to explore through, through this conversation and, and later about how we can, you know, um, you know, uh, expose these issues and, and, and call them out when we see them uh, rather than than uh, not so much as hiding it but but working through it which is what what actually happened wasn't it Jim? so you just plowed through it rather than called it out I, I think the lesson I learned from that was that um, I would never allow myself to be bullied again mm. and I, I will call it out I think you as a lone black person at the time, although subsequently an assistant director joined the department um, and he saw what was going on, which is why he asked me to join him uh, when the program office was um, winding down. Um, yeah, I, I, I've actually, when I thought about it, I've been bullied in a couple of other local government positions that were not uh, program related. And having reflected on that, that will never happen to me again. Um, in fact, um, in the current job that I'm in, uh, I had a bit of an issue with a manager um, and he, he, he didn't do it intentionally. He was unaware of what he was doing, but I called it out to his manager and it got dealt with. And subsequently our relationship is a, is a lot better. So I carry forward the learning that, yeah, I, I will call it out and I will not tolerate it. And if I need to leave, I'll leave. I won't sit there and be a victim. That's not going to happen again to me. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for the uh, testimony. And we're going to come back to those uh, things uh, presently. I just want to introduce uh, Aaron. And um, Aaron, tell us a bit about yourself and how you got here. So, uh, thanks, first, for inviting me to this conversation. Uh, my name is Aaron Matthew. Uh, I'm a project manager at Tenor and Townsend. And my job is making stations more inclusive in the Southwest. Um, so, that's my role uh, as a project manager. So I guess talking about race and in my in my career, I'm quite early on in my career. I'm only six or seven years in. Um, so I guess I'm going to kind of go back to the beginning and talk a little bit about school, university, and and getting into the these project management, civil engineering space in the first place. I guess in school, you know, there was there's there was always a, uh, a sense that engineering was quite a quite white dominated uh, industry. It was quite um, quite rough and a little bit um, and I was kind of actively told that it was a it'd be a difficult industry to go into and kind of avoided uh, told not to not to get into that industry and there might be better industries suited to to me um, and I think a part of that was the you know the fact that I am I am brown uh, I think going to university we my education you know was fantastic um, but I did struggle to you know get a get a job and recently you know I think the Royal Academy of Engineers um, put a put a statement out saying that race is the biggest factor to um, graduates getting jobs in the industry. So that that kind of re resonated with me. Um, and then I guess in the industry now that I'm here, uh, something that's kind of always a bit puzzled me is how how little or how completely that we don't speak about race um, in our industry. Um, you know, I've gone to a lot of lectures where I'm really interested in the history side of engineering and. Um, I think you know the Victorian engineers is a is a key aspect of our um, identity as project managers and civil engineers in the UK, but there was very little, if anything, said about empire 
um, and any nothing said about how how infrastructure was a tool for empire building and didn't uh, benefit um, you know the British Empire and colonies. And I think that story is a little bit missing from our from our education um, as engineers and project managers. Um, and I and I guess it kind of leads up to you know to last year with the biggest civil rights movement in in history and the fact that you know a lot of industries a lot of companies i was um you know friends i was speaking to just felt that their companies were really not talking about race at all and not not comfortable about that and that resonated with me because my industry is inclusive designs so trying to make spaces more accessible and um, one of the key things that is preventing that is that we're enabled to talk about um disabilities and i think every race is kind of has has that kind of same issue where as brits we are we are very uncomfortable about talking about that and i think I think that really has um, not helped us as an industry progress as, as fast as we, we maybe should have. Thank you, Aaron. And I, I want to start here where you finish because um, th these conversations, I think I'm right here, Andy, were kind of occasioned by, prompted by that kind of, um, uh, that explosion of energy that took place in June 2020 over Black Lives Matter. Uh, and I imagine that that moment kind of pollinated in different ways in different workplaces. And so I kind of, um, uh, with the exception of Aaron, who's relatively new to the industry, but IJ and June and Andy actually have been in the industry for a while. Is this the first time that you've been able to talk about this? Because obviously racism wasn't invented last year. Um, the experiences that you, both IJ and June talked about are from a while ago. Even Aaron's kind of like, well, I don't know if you should go into that field, maybe this field. It's not new. And yet uh, I wonder whether these conversations that we are having on you because if they are then they speak to a long-standing period in which people and here both June and IJ's testimony kind of um, bears this out people felt isolated and didn't know who to talk to and didn't even know whether the subject would find a home now I might be wrong you, there may have been many sessions about this this may be something that you talk about in major projects a lot, but um, either IJ or June or, or Andy, actually, because you've all been in the industry for a while, um, I'd be interested to hear your views on that. This is the first time um, that I've spoken about the issues of race and projects and program management. And in fact, when Andy and Bannon um, uh, contacted me to talk about it, I got very animated and I got very uh, infused about it because of it being the first time. And um, as I was speaking, things were kind of rushing into my head and um, yeah, just exploding out. I don't know, Andy, if you remember that conversation, I was just like, as we started talking, I just, I just kind of went into overdrive and it, because there was just so many things that they approached to me and their questions of me raised. So no, um, no, um, Gary, this is the first time that I've certainly um, 
an opportunity to, to speak about race. Um, and what the excellence in project and program management program enabled me was to work with a number of colleagues who've been in project and program management across London. That's why it really, I really enjoyed doing that work. I was meeting with colleagues from, let's say, other authorities, from colleagues outside of London. We were meeting with um, senior responsible owners. You know, these were people that were assistant director level. Um, and um, as part of taking the um, EPPM program, as it was called, forward, race never came up, Andy, did it? It, it, was, it was never a, really an issue. But clearly, I believe, and we're talking about the um, early mid, um, well, the early 2000s, it probably was an issue, but we were focused on this um, developing this tool that was a bespoke tool, was spoken on traits, uh, focused on de um, delivering bespoke training. But I think people just saw themselves as professionals, were committed to projects and program management. This was a great opportunity. It was funded and time limited, so we got on with the job. But I think, I'm sure, had Black Lives Matter and George Floyd, Floyd had happened um, then, as well as maybe the um, killings and abuse that has happened in uh, the UK, for decades, you know, sus, we're going back to the 70s, in fact, in terms of what was happening here and the um, killings in police custody that have happened here and been raised, but kind of ignored prior to Black Lives Matters, then it would have come out, I think. But it's so, so I, I welcome the major projects group raising it because I think that um, it's important. And if myself, IJ um, and Aaron have experienced it, then there are other professionals who definitely must be experiencing it or have experienced it. I just want to interject very quickly to say that kind of it was in the early 2000s then you did have there had been the McPherson report which spoke about institutionalized racism which is um which nobody to my mind thought stopped to the police so certainly in the media people kind of started talking about institutional racism 1999 the year the McPherson report came out that's the year I got my column. That's the year Yasmin Alibine Brown got her column. That's the year Steve McQueen won the Turner Prize. That was the year that kind of white teeth came out. Now, those things are contextual. They're not, well, some of them are causal actually, and some of them are contextual, but it would appear that kind of when it came to major projects, what was actually kind of in some ways a bit of an earthquake in British racial thinking and Stephen Lawrence's death happened here as opposed to George Floyd's death which happened several thousand miles away sounds like the world of major projects it didn't really have much of an uh have a, a much of an impact but um I want to move on uh, either Andy or or IJ IJ yes so um uh, just um off the back of that what you said about Stephen Lawrence happened right in our doorsteps here, it still did not cause that quick to happen. And going back to your earlier question about, is this the first time we're having these conversations, especially on major projects or um, on programs as well? It's, it's um, there is something that happens that causes a global movement. And when it becomes a global movement, it gets the attention of the world and then it gets attention of individuals and 
if you miss that moment, then your, your business will be left behind pretty much. I think this is where it's catching on with major projects. It's not, um, when we talk about Stephen Lawrence, it was a big deal in the UK. Over the years, you know, the fight for justice across um, um, with the family and so many supporters that have been on that journey. It's been a big movement within the UK, but it did not shake um, major projects in that sense of causing um, a revolution, if I, may, if I may put it that way. What we found is, um, is this the first time I'm having this conversation on major projects? No, but um, did George Floyd's um, death make that even quicker or, or make it louder or raise our voices louder? The answer is yes. Did it get the attention of major projects? Um, I'm not, when I say major projects, I'm not only referring to what Andy and, and his team are doing. I'm talking about major projects and pro programs across, across the UK. Yes, it got the attention of business leaders in that sense. So um, in 2019, um, some of you may be aware of Black Professionals in Construction um, started uh, a movement or a network you know, just um, bringing black professionals together in the sense that where are these people? Who are these people? Um, we're not seeing that leadership across across um, major projects or across the industry within construction. So that was pretty much how that um, network started. And then very quickly, what we began to hear from leaders was around well, we don't know where these people are. We don't have the black talents or um, Asian talents or minority talents. We don't know where to find them. And we're thinking, that must be a joke. Come on, you're looking at us here, right? So the power of that network, what that meant was if we come together as a collective within construction, we work within the construction industry, built environment, major project, we understand the landscape, we are the talents in that space. So when you're saying, where are these people? We, we point back to ourselves, here we are, as a network, this is who we are. However, when you look at the stats, I don't need to go into any stats here. You can count with your fingers, name any major project across the UK where you can talk about um, leadership. In that space, you can count with your fingers how many black directors, how many black exec, or at CEO level, I'm talking about senior leadership. So over the years, we start getting diversity increasing a little bit percentage wise. There's different stats out there in terms of the percentage of um, black Asian minority professionals within construction. But when you talk about that diversity and inclusion at leadership, yours truly haven't got it in statistics that we can say that we're doing the right thing from that perspective. So back to the conversation, are we, um, are we leveraging what's happened to Judge Floyd to get the businesses to listen? It's the right opportunity for businesses to do the right thing. And I'm really pleased about what Andy have called today in terms of this platform, where we're using it to amplify the voices of the professionals working within major projects within the industry to say, how can we help you, Andy? How can we help major projects to be the solution that we're after? I mean, we can go through a long list of our personal experiences. What I carry is beyond my experiences. I carry the voice of many black women. I carry the voice of many women within engineering. When we talk about diversity, it's not only about gender diversity. It's not only about racial diversity. It's not only about LGBT or diversity. It's about the collective. But back to the subject at hand here, when it comes to race, it's very uncomfortable conversations for many businesses. And we want to be that voice 
that will be able to channel it in the right direction to say, this is the solution that we can bring to the table. We want to see diversity. We want to see inclusion across all levels of the business on major projects. That's where my heart is. Sorry, is there something you um, want to add, Andy? Yeah, it's really interesting, and um, it's it's sort of sort of insightful, Gary, for you to, to bring that out in terms of you know the, the conversation that, that we're having, because um, you know the Major Projects Association itself, um, through the sort of the passion and drive of, of Manon Bradley, has been um, sort of leading on. Um, EDI matters for, for some time, but when we reflect of what's going on in the wider landscape of, of major projects, I think in that in, in EDI, I think the focus has been on diversity, but not on equality and inclusion. So you know, it's it's there's been baby steps, but and you know, and again, when I reflect, I think there's a lot of it's been, as I suspect, sort of. Um, project and program managers in us, it's been quite structural in terms of um, things like uh, unconscious bias training and, and focusing on recruitment and so on. It's not been what we're doing now, which is having conversations and, and having difficult conversations. And, and we need to make it a lot more people centric um, than, than perhaps what we've done to date. So, you know, it's hopefully the start of, um, you know, different approaches that we can take um, to, to, to um, to build on this. I just like to add something small to this is that um, I guess that there's many facets to the impact of not talking about race in the industry. Um, and I think there's sometimes a not an awareness by the wider industry that there is an issue. For me, you know, the, 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 the iceberg is, is that, you know, our companies and our businesses is, is not inclusive, but there's also that element of what we're building is, is that inclusive. Um, in terms of race, and then is our education inclusive of, of the shared histories or, um, of the people in this country? So I think there's, I think this is a multifaceted, and for me, there's, there's, there's those three kind of big hitters that we're maybe not even aware of. Thank you, Aaron. I want to touch on a point that June made explicitly, uh, and IJ uh, uh, June made explicitly and IJ made implicitly, which I think given, Aaron, your, your stage in the career, in your career, I'd be interested to know where you relate to it, which is doubt that um, things happen at work. People, white people are bullied at work. Men can be bullied at work. Um, uh, you can come back to work and find that you know your face no longer fits and so there is this challenge isn't there when it comes to issues of race and gender which cannot always black women aren't black sometimes and women other times they're black women all the time and so it's kind of it's kind of impossible to kind of unravel that but that um uh moments where you think is this just me is this just is it my work? Uh, as Ajay is, you know, do they just not consider me good enough? Is it because I've just come back after having a baby? Is it because I'm a black woman who's come back? And you don't know. And that leads to the kind of doubt that June was talking about, where she starts to doubt herself and to uh, her self-esteem goes down, her confidence goes down. And 
I just want to rest a minute on that issue of, or that moment really of doubt, that kind of, that moment at which something happens and it's left to you usually entirely to unravel it and work out what, what's going on here? Why is this, uh, uh, why has this happened to me? Um, so, I mean, if I start with um, IJ, because there is that moment where you come back to work, uh, having been away from maternity leave and you're like, what's going on? And I think it's just worth teasing that out a little bit because in that moment, it's quite lonely. It's in your head and you're kind of casting around looking for people to talk to, but maybe everybody thinks it's about you or maybe not. Anyway, I'm uh, IJ. Yes, um, Gary, it's interesting you say that because um, you, you, you come back into work. So I, I came back into work and I, I'm thinking uh, I've come back from I think it was about seven months off I had it wasn't even like a full year off to say you've been away for a whole year kind of thing and then when I got told I could not be put onto a serious project I've, I've worked on major projects for pretty much most of my career and that that was that was quite humiliating in that sense um and then you, you talk about self-doubt. Is it because I'm not good enough anymore? And you hear the stories about, well, when you come back from maternity leave, you've got baby brains and you've got also people make reference to all sorts. And thinking about it, I, I, I refuse to accept the baby brain thing now. At the time, I just put it down to baby brains. I just put it down to, I could have been out of work for um, caring for, for an older family member. I could have been out of work for sick reasons or anything else could have taken me out of work. And the reality check is how, how do we on major projects make the environment conducive to support people coming back into work? It shouldn't be a case where you're left wondering and um, touch wood, things have, have gotten better on a number of projects or businesses in, in my time from 2009 um, when I went off on my, on my first maternity leave. Um, having said that, the gap is still there. Um, where, uh, when else have I found myself doubting myself and my capabilities? So one thing was about um, when the uh, tire hit the road, rubber hit the road regarding my my um, coming back from work from maternity. But also my accent was another one that people took the mickey, if I may say. They just teased my accent to death. I know that people have different accents even within the UK. But um, just saying I came over from Nigeria and we grew up speaking English. And then when I arrive here, people are like, is that English you're speaking? I mean, that's rude to your face. And you can, you can pack that into your shell and begin to think about, is it me? Am I not good enough? And all of that. And you do have people who, th there are people who are on the path. I had people who made sure that they took me on the journey to support me on my journey, but there were other people still on major projects who took it upon themselves to just tease the living daylight out of me. I don't know what satisfaction they got out of that. But back to your point, Gary, when you start having those doubts, where do you go? Because some of it, you might say there's a HR issue here. Some of it is not just the plain HR issue. It's just, you know, where do you go with that? It's not, you know, 
if you haven't got that platform, if you haven't got that right support, if you haven't got the business who is listening, you've got nowhere to take that to. You can raise all the HR issue as you like, but it's not, it's going to be halfway house. It's not really one of those proper, I don't know even what to categorize it into. So for me, really, um, I'm one of those where um, growing up, my mother put it into us, you don't let anything stop you. You are the only one that can stop yourself. So from that perspective, when um, all of that kept coming back in terms of self-doubt, my accent, am I capable of major projects? You know, I, I took it up on myself and, and joined Toastmasters. And that's where I worked on my public speaking skills. And I took that, for me, I take any obstacle or any limitation, I take that as a strength. How can I make a strength out of it? And I suppose if you haven't got that within you, where you can see how you can turn around anything into a strength, you would probably stay longer in your shell and not have anywhere to take it to. I'm, 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 I'm privileged to be working for a business now that um, they are listening. We've had similar conversation that we're having today. We've had a number of round tables. They are listening. They want to do the right thing. We're putting measures in place to do the right thing. And that's where we need to be as, as major projects. We just need more businesses to listen, to provide a home or a platform for people to have somewhere to actually take their concerns to. And, and sorry, Gary, if I, may, in my, if I may just use this analogy, for mental health, over the years, it's been on the rise. The stats are sh showing us, even with lockdown, it even tripled or quadrupled, whatever the stats are showing now for mental health. And on, on most of the major projects I've been on, now you begin to see what we call mental health first aiders. Right, there's some training they put in place. You have champions, you have first aiders. There are other channels that provide support for people to take these things to beyond just going to their GP. We haven't got anything like this for race at the moment. Not that I'm aware of. There are uncomfortable conversations. There are networks that people have at work or on major projects, but we haven't got anything that provides that level of support that we've given to mental health. So the question is, are we listening enough to provide the right support and solution for our people on major projects? So before, before I bring you in, June, I do, I do want to say, um, and you'll have the chance to come back at this at some point, IJ, but that there is something about, I was raised in the same way, you know, uh, more or less, that like, my my mum's thing was if you have a problem at school, it's your problem. Deal with it. Come over it. You can. I don't want you coming home and saying the world done me bad. I want you to come home and say how you dealt with it. The trouble with that though is that it puts an awful lot of pressure and emphasis on me as a child, as a as an adult, to kind of solve this problem, which actually kind of makes it lonelier. And, um, and it means on the one hand that you, it's teaching you to navigate racism, but it's never actually about challenging racism. It's just about finding a way to kind of get through this awful system. And there's the psychic penalty for that of kind of, you know, I'm going to put my head down and just kind of muscle through. Um, it's their problem. It's not my problem. Is that you take the whole problem on f for yourself and you don't, there's nowhere to go with it because 
we've been raised to kind of um, toughen our exterior, thicken our skin and walk through the fire and the fire gets hotter and hotter and we keep going. Um, but uh, Sorry, talk to us about your moment of doubt. Uh, before I go on to that, I'm glad you made that point because I, I agree with AJ and I think that's one option is looking to yourself. But I'm also glad you made that point about the burden because I was thinking about um, what I learned from my experience and also then how I dealt with it once I decided not to be a victim. So what I did was, as I mentioned, I drew on the other peers within the projects, um, the Excellence in Project and Program Management Steering Group and Andy, and they were so supportive. They made me understand that it wasn't me. They were very angry for the way I was being treated, but they also helped me in terms of how they responded to my managers and, and senior manager within that department. That was number one. I also spoke to the assistant chief executive for the local authority that I was working for at the time, and he gave me good guidance and helped me to, to put together a written response, which when I presented that to my manager and his manager, they then backed off. But thirdly, I would say one of the important things in terms of solutions is about looking at senior um, black and brown leaders who can become mentors, I think, because they would have experienced some, to some degree, if they're racially aware, they're not always racially aware, but they would have experienced to some degree what you know, people like myself, IJ and Aaron have experienced. Um, but that's one of the things I would suggest. It's not the only things. At the end of the day, it is about um, these organizations, one, having awareness raised with you know, our experiences and the, un the unconscious bias, et cetera, et cetera. And I've, I've, I really um, echo what IJ was saying about the need for solutions that are organizational and structural. And the point that IJ made about you know, the global impact and why people have now sort of sat up in their chairs and are taking more notice. Because before there was um, Stephen Lawrence, there was Roland Adams. And no one talks about Roland Adams, although he was murdered well before Stephen. And I think around the same time, there was an Asian young man, I think, I think in Thamesmead, that was also killed called Rohit Dougal. No one talks about him. So, you know, it, it was the global impact. And the fact that people actually, you know, like myself, could sit in our homes in South East London and see George Floyd being killed. Because again, as you, as you were saying, um, Gary, George Floyd wasn't the first to be um, killed by police uh, and by other, others. But I think the difference was we all had the opportunity to see it because of the video the young lady um, the young lady took. We were in our homes, in our armchairs. We were able to watch it, and then people uprose. And I think that 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 is the difference, the global impact. But can you repeat the question you asked me before I started responding to IJ and yourself? I was asking your what was your moment, your moment of doubt, if you can describe. Uh, yeah, yeah, the moment of doubt. I think actually it was the first thing I felt was fear rather than doubt. Um, and I actually, okay, so there was two things. Before the bullying started, yes, I was very nervy. I didn't present in the uh, program office meetings or in the um, presentation to the boards as confident and assured. 
when I spoke to individual um, colleagues outside of the program office, when I spoke to projects and program managers within the program, i.e. the people outside of my immediate program office, I came over as confident. And I just basically worked really hard to ensure that I understood what my responsibility was, how I was going to um, execute my responsibilities. And I'm a perfectionist and it's only in the last five or so years I've realized that. So everything I did, I worked really hard and put in the extra hours to deliver quality work. So that's how I dealt with the doubt. But then I went on to, when the bullying kicked in, that's when fear kicked, fear kicked in. So I really thought I was gonna lose my job. Um, at the time I was a single parent with a primary school aged child. So, you know, I physically lost weight. And that's when I kind of had to, as in talking to people who were supporting me, including a senior leader, as I said, I realized I had to stand up for myself. And as I said, I prepared a draft response to the uh, intimidation and the bullying. And as I said, the result was that they backed off. Um, yeah, that's why I think, as I said, it's important for me to remember that lesson of not allowing myself to be a victim and drawing on the support of others, either peers or other senior leaders. Thank you. Um, I mean, Aaron, you're very early in your career. And um, um, so I don't know if you've had that moment in that sense, but I would imagine that you have a sense of what that is. And I'm just wondering how you think about hearing some of your older colleagues talk. Aaron, having listened to IJ and June's um, experiences, I'm just wondering what you make of those. And if you were in a moment of doubt now, coming into the um, profession a bit later than they did, would you know where to go? Would you know what to do? So I definitely had that moment of doubt. And it was around a couple of years ago when the Roads Must Fall movement happened. Um, so this was a, the discussion on whether a, a historic building should be modified to, to take down the, the statue of a slaver. And I thought it was a fantastic discussion that the industry, especially as engineers and major projects who you know, interface with historical buildings should talk about. And the moment of doubt came for me is when I engaged with the institution with so many professionals who said, don't speak about this. Um, it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's not a great topic. We're not ready to talk about it. Um, let's just focus on you know, diversity in the workplace. This is, this is not the topic, this is not the time. I was regularly told this, Wanting non-white people, that diversity is not just about looking different, it's about acting different. It's about hearing and understanding new voices. Otherwise, you swap equal opportunities for photo opportunities, I think. If you change the way an organization looks, but then it acts in exactly the same way. And so when you bring new people in, new kinds of people in, then it's gonna, um, is going to change things and sometimes people act as though it shouldn't change anything but actually it's good I think that it changes things and that kind of you know to be on a very basic level if you have more women working in your organization you're gonna to have to kind of deal with the toilet situation or you're gonna have a big chunk of your staff queuing up the whole time when they should be uh, they should be um, working. And so there is, 
um, in different ways, in different industries, um, a change that comes when you change the people that you're working with and when you give them a voice. When people are, well, they don't give them a voice because they've always had a voice. But when people's voices are heard, then comes the challenge of listening. And um, I just, I just wonder if you've had some experience of that. Okay, I'm here. I feel like I'm genuinely respected. This is not an act of racism insofar as denying me this job or that job, but I'm not being heard. I'm raising an issue and it's not being heard. And the issue might be about race. It might be about the food that's served in the canteen or about the holidays that are allowed for one religion, but not another. It could be, it could be a range of things, but I, I'm just wondering if that has been an experience in major projects for you. Um, June. It didn't happen in terms of major projects, ironically, but prior to um, being deployed to the major programs and projects office, I had worked for the directorate um, where the head of the uh, major projects and programs corporate office had been the director. So he knew me and it was clear to me because of the way I was, I think I came over professionally. You could hear from my accent that I speak in a way that um, doesn't have IJ's accent or any other accent. I'm clearly a Londoner um, and I speak the Queen's English. So mm -hmm. I, I don't scare people. Um, they won't necessarily ridicule me, that they found me acceptable. So, um, Often I was the person who they put on to recruitment panels because I made up the quota in terms of being black and a woman. Um, when there was an issue with a, a member of staff who was a black woman, they spoke to me about that, about how I could support that person to, to protect them in a way. Um, but it was interesting, but when it came to the program and project um, environment, major, major projects and programs environment, I wasn't afforded the same respect. Um, and even when I, um, along with my peers in that office, qualified as a Prince II practitioner and an MSP, Managing Successful Programs practitioner, I still wasn't regarded as having any, uh, being less than the junior, you know, the, the junior in the office. What I'd also like to say, there were two issues around race and gender. And I kind of alluded to this earlier. The fact that someone's black or of colour doesn't mean that they're um, politically aware and see race or racism as an issue. You know, that kind of, um, I've never experienced racism. Not sure what planet you've been on. You know, that can still persist and or does persist. So, AKA the Tony Sewell report, where, you know, you had these panel members on, on uh, you know, who put their names to this, some of who then wanted to walk away from it, including the prime minister. But, you know, they, they, it was a self-serving um, role that they played on that, on, on that inquiry and hence all the backlash. Because I don't know how they could have come up with those recommendations, those allegations that the recommendations were written by the prime minister, blah, de, blah, de, blah. But, you know, from a, over a year ago, when Sewell was appointed to that, it was uproar about him, 
being appointed to that leadership role on that, and also concerns raised about some of the panel members. So, you know, that's a case in point as to one needs to go beyond being black or being of color. It's, you know, are you politically aware? Are you engaged? Are you um, fit enough to stand up and see the issues? And I come back to AJ, also willing to look at solutions and not wanting to believe, you know, I'm okay, Jack. You know, back to the 70s Thatcher era where, um, you know, as individuals, you pulled yourself up by the bootstraps and you were cool. If everybody, if everybody sort of plays cricket by the rules and, um, you know, uh, sorts themselves out and makes themselves fit for purpose, then it's all cool and dandy. Um, sorry, um, Gary, re repeat what you, that last point you made. No, I think you've uh, uh, addressed it, the need to, that it's not just about bringing different people in, it's about making a difference to the culture in which you, uh, in which you operate and understanding that those people will make a difference. Absolutely. Um, as opposed to thinking, right, now you're in, be grateful, shut up, this is how we work. Exactly. And the other point I was going to make was around gender. So, you know, my line manager was a senior assistant director and a female, by the way, should I say she, and she was disrespected by her peer who was a male, but she was part of the bullying of me and disrespect of me. So again, you know, the point I was making about the virtue by virtue of the person being black and or brown doesn't mean they're going to come in and make a difference. Similarly, you know, being the fact that someone's gender, i.e. a woman, you'd expect them to, to a greater or lesser extent, be part of the change and recognising the need for change. That's not always the case because they sometimes have their own personal agenda, which she had. It was all about her and it was all about, you know, um, not, not being disrespected. And she had a, a, a long-standing personal experience of being... Um, seen as lesser than, you know, her father had wanted her to go into typing and secretarial work, where, you know, through her hard work and graph, that's which that's the entry point that she came in at. But ultimately she rose through the ranks and became this senior um senior um executive um, director. So in short what I'm saying is people need to be fit for purpose in part of playing their role in creating change. And by virtue of being a woman, and by virtue of being black or brown person, doesn't mean that's going to automatically follow. Aaron's back with us. Aaron, how are you doing? Sorry about that. I tried to swap, swap phone. Is this a bit better? Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is for now. I, I just wanted you to finish your thought about... Doubt. Um, you were saying that you had... Um, introduced the notion after Rhodes was full of the historical buildings that you uh, that you might work with and what your professional relationship should be and moral relationship should be to those buildings. And you were told, we're not talking about that. Don't talk about that. And uh, I'm wondering, first of all, how that ended up. And secondly, because you mentioned that as your moment of doubt, but secondly, um, uh, how you how you proceed in a moment where people are saying, "Well, you know, let's not talk about that." So I guess 
like like IJ said, it was talking to professionals, usually from BAME backgrounds that really supported me, mentored me through this, um, and kind of gave me other ways I could I could talk about this event, um, this this topic. And um, the good news story is that I did manage to host it. It was you know with a really cool group of young individuals, engineers who um, put on an event in Zoom. Um, and, you know, it was attended, it was quite well attended. And we talked about really interesting and difficult topics like decolonizing engineering and the impact of uh, our history. And so it finally did go ahead, but it was only through, you know, professionals older than myself who gave me that advice um, to just keep, just keep at it, at uh, keep talking to people and eventually something will come through. And I, I guess that was, that was really important for me. Um, um, I want to touch on something now for all of you, unless Ajay, unless you want to come in on this particular thing of looking different and acting the same. Uh, is there something in particular you want to say about that? Yes. So um, just um, when when June was um, making her points, a few things was going through in my mind in terms of. Um, I think one one message that we need to clearly send out there when we're talking about diversity and inclusion and equality and all of this, the core reason why we're doing this is that we want to have diversity of thoughts on the table, diversity of thoughts in decision making at any level, whether you're a grad or a mid-career or at senior leadership or at exec level, we want to have diversity of thoughts on the table, as Gary said there um, earlier on, if you have that diversity of thoughts, people come with different lenses. And um, th there's some businesses that do this really well, where they check in with their leadership team to make sure that they haven't hired people that look like them, sound like them, act like them, operate like them, walk like them, talk like them. If you haven't done that check, within your, your leadership team or across your business, you will not have the right voices on the table. You do things the same way over and over. And it's only a matter of time. You will be out of business. It's only a matter, it's a business advantage more than anything else. You're doing good for the people that you're working with, but it's also a big advantage to the bottom line of the business mm -hmm. overall. So just back to the point in terms of, um, where, where people have had their voices or have been put on the table and then just um, be grateful that you're on the table, don't add anything on there. This is where we do need, uh, what I said earlier on, I carry not just my experience, but I carry the voices and experiences of other people, men and women who have been branded as, um, there, are, there are black men who have reached out at work. They've been branded as, uh, as being too loud They've been branded as being too aggressive. They've been branded and they've been having issues with line management. Sometimes they've been taken up to HR. And there's, if we don't put the conversation on the table to say, some of these people, if you understand their, their natural makeup and how, they, and how they are wired, it's just who they are. They come with their whole self to work. They're just passionate when they're raising a topic. They're not aggressive. It, it might sound to you because you're a quieter person as aggressive, but they just bring themselves to work. If you haven't got the right platform of where you bring things like this over and over, you would always be having these issues where we're always going backwards. I, I think that's why for me, I'm more um, I'm, I'm passionate and focused about driving solutions. I'm on major projects. 
I'm in the industry within construction and beauty environment. I want to see change in my lifetime. Uh, conscious there's been so many people that have gone through well before me, like Andy, like Gary, you know, you, you've been in the industry well longer than myself. I want to see change in my lifetime. And for the people before coming after me as well, I want them to experience much better than what I've experienced. That's my passion and drive. I mean, it's interesting what you, you say there. It's almost, it's almost, you know, there are bring your bring your daughter to work day, bring your son to work day. It could almost be a bring yourself to work day. <laughs> people, people actually come to work as they are. Um, there's um, uh, there's some very important points I think you raise there in terms of understanding diversity, not as a feel good issue, not as an issue of feeling woke. Um, that much disparaged term, but actually as best practice, as best practice and as actually, as well as being the right thing to do and that your society will crumble if you keep excluding large numbers of people. Look at those countries that do exclude large numbers of people. They're not doing well generally and uh, they're certainly not doing well kind of uh, uh, psychically, but actually ultimately it's gonna help your bottom line. And particularly in a more internationalized um, uh, uh, moment of globalization, you know, I think back to the moment in Mad Men where they have the chance of some work with a Jewish-owned firm, and they they can't find any Jews in the office, um, and they end up bringing up a kid from the mailroom and just sitting him there, and he has no idea why he's there, and the woman from the uh, company understands exactly what has happened straight away. There are American companies that won't work with you if you don't have a certain percentage of minorities on your on your board or in your team or whatever. So increasingly, you kind of you end up looking backward, and so it's in their interest, not just as presentationally, but actually professionally. Thank you for listening to part one of this roundtable discussion on why race matters on major projects. The discussion between Gary, IJ, Aaron and June continues in part two, which you can find along with other sessions in this series on the Major Projects Association's website and our social media channels. 